Welcome to Conversations in Grief, a podcast from Anamkara, an organization set up by bereaved parents to help themselves and all bereaved parents cope with their grief and loss and journey on. I'm Sam Whelan Curtin, and in this podcast series, we'll be hearing from parents as they share their own unique stories of their children and their journey through grief. In this episode, we will be talking about bereavement by suicide and the impact that can have on a family with Larry as he speaks to us about the death of his son, Dick. Larry, thank you for joining us to share your story. To start, can you tell us about yourself and your family? I'm Larry O'Sullivan. I come from Thordis in County Tipperary. I'm married to Mary and we have uh, four kids, Owen, Dick, Laurie and Leslie. Unfortunately, Dick passed away in 2004. Uh, when he took his own life. He got interested in soccer and he was a Blackburn Rover supporter and he was quite good at golf. We lived beside the golf course and in Thurdis and um, he was pretty good at school as well. Uh, he would originally have gone to Pauldine National School which is about three miles to the south of our, our place and uh, then he went to St. Joseph's College in Bursley for secondary school. He had a great relationship with the, with the kids and teachers in school and both schools and and with the sisters and brothers as well. They all got on great. You know, he was one of the best junior golfers in Munster anyway, if, if not further afield. Three months before he died, he was 17 when he passed away. But three or four months, he sort of went. He sort of went away from golf, and yeah, this was from a young lad who was. Um, he played three rounds of golf in one day, and he come home with blisters on his on his hands, you know. And he'd eat below in the golf club. He'd have chips and, and sausage, you know, and back out again. I thought it was just uh, you know he'd he'd started going out with somebody, and I thought that was the reason why he eased off in the golf because. It's very time-consuming sort of a sport. Uh, but either myself or Mary didn't really see anything uh, change in him, or you know, we weren't having hassle at home. Or he was working in Dunn stores when he wasn't at school, and he was doing his leaving cert. And uh, I saw his uh, notebooks and uh, spoke to his teachers, and said everything was A one, and you know, his his writing had got better if. If anything, you know, one evening um, it was a bit of a hassle over dinner. He wanted his dinner down the room or whatever, so Mary brought it down. But um, that's the last time I would have seen him because um, I'd, I'd head off around uh, quarter to six, and he would head off around the same time to uh, go into work. Um, He'd usually get a lift. There's always cars passing from our junction, you know, and they're slowed down at the junction. I know one of the neighbours saw him at the junction and asked him if he wanted a lift in, and he was on the phone, and he said no, he didn't want a lift. We presumed he was gone to work, and we rang Duns when he hadn't come home, etc. And then contacted guards the day after. We rang Belfast to see if he'd gone up to that girlfriend, you know. The guards, after couple of days you know they looked in his room and things like that and he had left things there like a wallet and things you know um so 
they decided to have a search. They had a search on Saturday morning, and oh, uh, hundreds turned up in our yard. We have a fairly big yard and a field, and and uh, hundreds turned up, and uh, we couldn't really go near the door because it was too overpowering for us, you know. And and uh, um, yeah, one uh, they split into groups, and one of the groups found him after about ten minutes. Um, down a couple of fields away from our place. I had searched that area the night before, but I hadn't gone in through the gap where he was. I had circled around around by a river and that, you know. So um, maybe it's best I didn't. I'm so sorry, Larry. It's such an unimaginable experience. Can you tell me about the time following losing him? Yeah, that was the start of a nightmare. It was uh, a sort of blank out because you don't really understand what's what's occurred. There's nothing in your experience or your comprehension that would even help you, apart from hearing about it in the past or looking at films and seeing you know. Uh, but it doesn't um, that doesn't hold any water in those circumstances. It was so difficult, it was just a constant pain in your chest or your diaphragm, and it never went away, it's just, you know, you're lost, you're lost, it can't be happening. Why would it happen, you know, um, why did it happen to us? How was he in so much pain and we didn't realise? I'd say every parent tends to blame themselves in a situation like that. Um, I suppose even if a, if if a mother or father gives a young lad keys of a car and they go out and they happen to have a crash and pass away, well, they're blaming themselves for giving them the keys. You know, even you know, for a person to take their own life is is a totally different thing. You know, it's not it's by choice. It's not like a young lad in Temple Street with cancer. It's not like a car accident or any other type of accident. That's what really kills you initially, you know. Your spirit is gone. You don't have any interest in anything. Uh, we're all working. Mary Mary was working at home. I was working for myself. And um, I tried to go back to work, but I couldn't concentrate in the slightest. And it's funny to say that the only time I've experienced that since is at the end of COVID the lack of concentration and not being able to concentrate. That was hard uh, or difficult getting back to work. And you sort of have to in one way. As you talk to us about those early initial days and how you and the family responded, as time goes on, how does the experience change as you go through grief, yourself and as a family? I suppose I've learned... uh, through Anamkara, what what grief can do to people and and how different it can it can be for everybody. But initially, um, we had a great fear. Uh, you know, you you sort of innately know the position you're in yourself, but you don't. You're fearful for your other children. You know, you know they're in a similar mental state that you that you were. You know. Uh, so you're worried, really, uh, would one of them uh, try the same? 
or go haywire or off the rails in some other fashion. We had great help from from friends and family. I suppose the unusual thing about it was the the people that we that we considered not really close friends ended up to be our best friends in that situation because they probably had a better um, awareness and knowledge and innate thing in their DNA to help other people, you know. Um, and it's it's the experience of meeting all the different people afterwards. I would have met people who had lost people. Um, but myself and Mary were part of um, a research that was done. Uh, we, we were able to sort of portray what um, what Dick meant to us or, you know, his life or his, where he lived. And I had done a map of the route from our house to where he took his own life. And I put a dotted line. And Mary had collected some, a note that uh, he had left with his friend about something to do with the buses. It was uh, We put up a Blackburn jersey or some part of a Blackburn crest, I think it was. Um, things like that was two or three other things but I find it hard to recall now bit by bit we're sort of meeting other people and we went to a suicide awareness conference and I met Tony Bates there who's a psychiatrist and we had great chats with him outside when the conference was going on and there were other speakers there he was a speaker himself that gave us another little bit of a lift you know you can you can only fill a, a vessel very slowly. If you put it all in at once, it'll topple over. So, Yeah, we felt we were being slowly filling up. And, and uh, I know uh, one of the ladies with Anamkara breed, uh, Carl, she has a, a lovely thing with, uh, she has three jars and, and uh, grief in the first jar is like, we say it's the size of a tennis ball or whatever. And, but in the larger jar, it's still the size of a tennis ball and then in the third the largest jar it's still the same size but the jar is much much bigger so what she's trying to convey is that it becomes less a part of your whole life afterwards uh, the further you go on the journey because there's you're filling up more of your life other than than the atmosphere and and conditions and and uh, things around around uh, dick's death you know, and and the grief afterwards. The grief stays with you. It stays the same. Um, it never diminishes. But you try not to let it overtake your emotions or, or, or your mental structure, you know. You try and you don't know if you'll succeed every day or not. If it does, you need, you need to go for help, you know. Our family have been affected by it, you know, but all in their own different ways a thousand different things crop up like you, you visit the grave and you'll have an anniversary you'll have a birthday and each one each year is different really and then you have the other kids birthdays it's heart-wrenching at times but um other times it's joyous then thank you larry tell me what do you need to do for yourself you've mentioned the worry and fear around your family and making sure everyone is okay. And you do need to act and to ensure that you're okay as well. 
I'm, I'm not sure if I done anything uh, to sort of ensure I was okay early on. It's like being in a in a dark room. You, you just don't know anything about this and the situation, and you know you you go through all the mental processes of you know you know what is this and how can I recover or is there a recovery or you know and you're you're basically thinking about um mary and the kids and and i am sure mary would be thinking of of me and the kids and the kids will be thinking of us and how we're feeling you know but you don't initially go out to sort of help yourself but when i when i met some people at at different groups different meetings and that you realize that that um by by being in a, in a group like Anamkara, that you're 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 actually helping yourself by helping others. And I, I met a woman who had lost two um, two kids to gun violence in Limerick. And I sat at a table with her and her daughter for well twenty minutes, half an hour, or whatever. When she said to me that that I, um, that she got a lot from the talk. Jeez, that meant everything to me that night. That was just a different word for me. I wouldn't know an- anything about that word that that lady had, had come through. The tragedy that came on top of her. I got a great reception, so I'd done it a second time. And it was easier the second time. I was happy to do that because I innately felt that I was helping others by telling some sort of a story, whatever I was telling on the night. Being uh, with Adam Cara has, has helped... Um, an awful lot with, with um, getting your story out there and knowing that you're being of some little help. Um, I think the family are delighted I'm, I'm doing it as well. And uh, it, 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 it's uh, unusual that that helped me with my poetry. I, I started writing a little bit more about, um, not about Dick and, and, and thing, but generally about grief and that sort of thing. And um, um, speaking then uh, made me more confident, and uh, to get up and do it like I'm doing at Philip Yog, and you know, to get out in front of the lads full of cider, and, and uh, <laughs> still still be able to hold me on. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> You've been on such a journey through all of this, through those years. What have you found to be of value? In helping you to cope, I'd say uh, doing the everyday things that you were used to doing, um, getting back to um, what we might call normal life, in as much as possible. You see, you're testing the water all the time in learning how to cope because you are going blind um, into that um, journey. So how you're coping is is uh, developing every every day, really. I think Mary helped me to cope and I helped her to cope. I think that's sort of our relationship. Um, we're not very alike, you know, so I think that helped us. So I, I was seeing it from a different perspective and she was seeing it from a different perspective. It, neither of us usually give in when we're having an argument. <laughs> so we never solve anything. Our kids have helped us to cope. Um, in lots of ways. Can I ask you about the continuing bond you have with Dick and connecting with his memory? 
We remember him through the other kids, through photographs. I remember him, of course, through speaking about him um, in different um, environments. Um, at the end of the day, like it, it's uh, it's part of our life, not all of our lives. And Dick did live 17 years, and that was his journey through this life. We all have a certain journey. We don't know if it's going to be another 10 minutes, another 10 years. I like to think of it that way. It might be sort of harsh to other people or abstract or whatever, but that's the way I think. And that that's that was his life. It's lived. You sort of had to celebrate his life. And I know one of our daughters, um, um, I think it was Leslie, got together uh, some... Uh, um, like teddy bears um, and they were made from bits of material that he'd worn when he was alive and they were stitched together and you know in random patches uh, around and it, in the form of a teddy bear she had done that for um, I think her sister um, and us um, and one I think that um, one for each as a memory of him I think uh, a couple of years back which was lovely. You know, there's hundreds of ways to remember somebody, you know, but he'd be in your head all the time anyway. Oh, yeah, you'd think about him three or four times during the day anyway. And that's not a bad thing. It's Some people might consider um, that's a bad... I don't consider it a bad thing at all. I think it's great to remember. It's great to remember my grandparents. Any Anybody who's, who's part of my DNA... You know, they, they're all special to me. Um, um, so remembering somebody isn't morose, but it's it's got to be a part of your life, not all of your life. That's the way I'd, I'd look at it now, and I'm only speaking for myself, <laughs> you know. Of course, and, and that's the uniqueness of grief for everyone. Can I ask you, what would you say to parents or families who are experiencing that grief particularly those who had a loss through suicide. From your perspective, what message would you like them to take away from listening? A lot of people think that you should go back to normality and get back working as soon as possible. And that, I think, is detrimental to your health, both your physical and mental health. I had some comments from people saying that, like if after six months, like uh, you'd want to snap out of it and get on with things. And boy, did that hurt, you know. That was really hard. And they're the nicest people every other day of the week. But um, I know they're only trying to help or they were only trying to help, you know. But it really upsets you. I, I would say to, to people to, to um, never, ever um, say anything like that. Everybody has to take their own time. To grieve, and that can be a long, long time with with some people, and they have multiple griefs in some instances. They could have lost different people in in a short time. Try to take time for yourself. That you're an individual, although you're part of a family. You will have to be selfish in in a certain way, and you know have your own time. Um, 
a lot of energy goes out of everything because you've you've given it to your child. You've lost all that energy. It it could take years to replace it. You really have to allow the person to grieve. It is difficult to do that because naturally we're trying to help the whole time, you know. Um, as a kid is riding the bike, no, no, put your other foot up on the other pedal. Now you go, you know, you're trying to help constantly with somebody who you think is weak in a weak position. Sometimes we go overboard, but let the people grieve themselves. I, I know it might be hard for you, but, you know, you, you, you really have to do it and, and, and let them get on with it. But help in little ways outside of that, not not speaking to down to them, you know, that sort of thing. Again, everyone is different in terms of what they want and need. But tell me, what would you say about reaching out for support? I didn't see any immediate supports um, uh, when Dick died, apart from family group and that sort of friends. And that seemed to be enough, but all of those things might wane slightly because people have their own lives as well, family and, and friends. So then you might feel a little bit more lost when you get past that stage that you sort of, I wonder, is there anything else that that can help? And I didn't uh, really experience anything until um, I did go to a candlelight vigil at Christmas, I think, in Limerick, in a church in Limerick on the main street. And uh, I saw how people were approaching um the loss of, of, of children through suicide. You know, you, you can be very stressed and uh, short-tempered a lot of the time, um, in the early years especially. Uh, you don't have time for a lot of uh, fluffy language or whatever you call it. I, I don't know. It's, it needs to be to the point. And every bit of help you give somebody will come back to you in, in spades. Um, but be kind to yourself. Respect yourself. It's not your fault. Yeah, be kind to yourself and the people around you. And it's difficult to do that after a suicide. Um, it's it's especially relevant because of the historical significance of suicide and it being criminalized in Ireland for years. I think up to eighty three. So it's still in our DNA and in our memories, you know, in, in the whole community memory. So it's uh, it's hard to get over that. And tell me, is there anything else you'd like to share? Be kind and allowing yourself to uh, build up your energy reserves again. Because if you don't have them, you're not going to help anybody. Our daughter, Laurie, uh, was the other twin, uh, gave birth to... Um, twin boy and girl uh, during COVID and um, they have filled in a great hole for us for all the family and we get great enjoyment out of them and it's been a thrill having them and they're going to be the ongoing story now that's that's part of our other life you know and Dick is still there in, in our other section <laughs> and always will be so thank you for sharing the story with us Larry and we dedicate this episode to the memory of Dick.
We know the power of hearing the stories of other parents and how this can help in navigating the journey of grief. Adam Carr provides information, resources and bereavement support after the death of a child of any age and through all circumstances. They hold regular group meetings and information sessions in the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. You can find out more by visiting www.anamcara.ie or you can call plus 353-1404-5378 or from outside Dublin 085-2888-888 and if calling from Northern Ireland 028-952-13120 We would like to thank all the parents who have spoken to us and shared their stories for this podcast series. Thank you for listening, and be kind to yourself.